Welcome to Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate, a podcast hosted by RCL Code, the show that brings you illuminating interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders throughout all corners of the real estate sector. Each episode will feature different masters in real estate, revealing challenging lessons they've learned, their secrets to success, and opinions regarding the state of the market. Hello, this is Adam Ducker. I'm CEO of RCLCO. If you're a regular listener to our podcast, then you know that since 1967, RCLCO has been the first call for real estate developers, investors, the public sector, and non-real estate companies seeking strategic and tactical advice regarding property investment planning and development. Welcome to the latest episode of Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate. Today, I'm talking with J.P. Testweed and Andrew Lang. Andrew is the Vice President of Strategic Planning and Development at Altera Mountain Company, and J.P. is the Director of Development. It's early February as we record this. The snow is falling in a number of Altera's resorts across the United States, in fact, across the world, maybe not where you're listening, but no time like the depth of winter to talk a little bit about the, the really exciting real estate business in mountain resorts in North America. And we have leading practitioners in the industry here to talk about it with me today. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So I thought we should start with um, just an overview of Altera. I think people probably know the name. Certainly the skiers know the name. But but maybe, JP, starting with you, do you want to give a little background on just the business as a resort operator, and then maybe how real estate fits within the strategy? Yeah, definitely. Well, kind of back to where you know Altera was formed, it kind of paints a little bit of a picture of how we think of it today. But you know, coming out of the Interwest acquisition, and then you know, we subsequently merged you know a, a few assets into our portfolio um, with the understanding of look, the sum is is greater than the parts. We identified, you know, a lot of real estate at the base as a huge opportunity, right? Um, from the peer perspective of, look, a lot of our assets are, they're pretty old and they've been operating resorts and fantastic resorts to say the least for a long period of time, but they've been physically challenged in a lot of areas. And so, you know, over the, you know, the last, I'll call it four or five years since the acquisition, we've really been focused on, you know, getting the assets kind of up to speed, right? And, and so Altera currently operates 15 or 14 resorts. We've got 15 that we just brought on Snow Valley. And we're we're trying to create, I guess, a a conglomerate in the space that's competing with, you know, with with Vail and some of the other ski companies. But from a strategic standpoint on, you know, from real estate, we really have you know, an eyes wide open approach because, you know, what's been done in the past is not necessarily what we want to follow in the footsteps of. And so we've, we've taken our five big resorts and we're, we're currently envisioning or implementing um, some pretty transformational things at the base. So I think, you know, with, with that kind of overview, that's kind of where we're, where we're at today. Andrew, do you have anything to add there yeah no that's great great intro i i would say emphasize that we are we have the hat of an operator and the hat of a developers so we we have we kind of share both hats our, our group is the latter of those but our charter as a development group within altera mountain company an opera company that leverages the value of the operations and and ongoing profits and ebitda our, our charter is to create real estate that contributes to the bottom line on an ongoing basis. So it's less about selling a condo um, or even monetizing a hotel and more about creating great places with critical mass bed base and commercial that draw more people to visit, stay longer, and spend more. Um, so the real estate strategy that Altera has per, is pursuing is it's not one that seeks to monetize real estate directly, although we'd love to make money on it. It's uh, it's a drop in the bucket compared to the value that we can generate by developing these base areas in a very strategic way. Now, some of your competitors or other people in the space have really made a decision to 
to not be in the real estate business at all. You talked a little bit about why Altera is doing this. How has the company made a decision or, and, and maybe it's moving around, how much to bring the expertise of development in-house to manage that practice in-house versus to sort of partner with, with people in the development business? Yeah, here, I'll start that one and JP, you can continue. I think our goal, I think we're not bold enough or perhaps stupid enough to think that we could actually self-develop every parcel we own within any reasonable amount of time or within within an amount of capital that we have. It's You look across our portfolio, it's probably four or $5 billion of real estate and uh, time to market would be a challenge. So it's not that we want to self-develop everything or oversee everything ourselves. I think what we want to do is have a strategic, at least a hand, a guiding hand, what gets developed and how. Because if you look at one of our resorts, let's take Steamboat or Winter Park, for example, the core of that base area is the heart of our operations. It's where the mountain meets the base. It's where people eat. It's where they hang out. It's where they get their skis. It's where they arrive. It's where they meet their ski school instructor. Um, it's where they stay. It's when, where they sleep, where they check in and leave at the end of the day. So that experiential factor is so important to the long-term operating plan that we want to be able to have some say over the master planning efforts and what gets placed when, where, and why around our base areas. We control so much land that it's just not feasible to develop it ourselves. But rather than doing what one one or two of our competitors are doing, which is kind of selling off all the land and allowing it to be piecemeal developed with whatever a third party may want to build on it, we want to try to induce develop smart development that helps us. And it's also feasible to a third party developer. So we'll develop some of ourselves. Um, we'll develop on our own parcels in some cases, but uh, to kind of spur on the momentum and get things built within our, within our again, we're private equity owned. So get things built within our investment window. We are going out to third parties and, and generating interest and building uh, kind of JV structures or just outright selling parcels off. But we tend to try to keep the strings attached to us in some way um, whether that be a certain requirements on what they develop or approval rights that we have, or just a JV where they're the, they're the equity and we're the developer. We go about it all sorts of different ways to skin the cat. But end of day, we want to we want to see these base areas emerge in a way that's most beneficial to our resorts and the community and the people. Interesting. Do you use the term master developer? Do you think of your role as master developer and then vertical builder of some, but but not all? Is that oh, it's that's exactly what I would consider us to be. Yes. And I think, you know, we have the opportunity to cherry pick not only the best projects, but also the ones that influence our operations, right? Because, you know, we we don't want to rely on other people to have their hand in how we do F&B, ski school, the things that we're really good at. But we also want to leverage the expertise of third parties that can do stuff a lot better than we can, Right whether that's hospitality, condos, things of that nature, where our expertise is, is a little bit more limited. Yeah. So maybe before we delve a little bit deeper into what you're doing in, in real estate today and where you think that's going, maybe it's helpful to, to pull the lens back for some of our listeners, maybe who aren't as familiar with mountain resorts. You know, looking back over the 10 years, what are last 10 years, what are the what are the big trends? What's What's exciting in mountain resorts that sort of is driving a different development environment than maybe existed 10 years ago? Now, if we go back 10 years, that's 2013, right? So, of course, the financial crisis really hit these markets hard. If you think about homes, second homes or real estate in mountain resorts, they're they're typically discretionary purchases, right? It's it's a lot of second homes, investment properties, and things like that. Um, so when the rug fell out, it didn't come back for a long time. It just didn't need to, right? People don't need to be in the mountains. They they the skiing seemed to continue, but people just weren't willing to make the, the step to make it a, a big investment in the mountain. So that has had a very extended impact versus what you may see in a more urban environment. Like I'm from New York. Uh, I lived in Denver and both of those markets didn't take 10 years, I, I don't think, to to come back to where they were 
whereas the mountains did and are still kind of crawling out of that hole, especially some of them. But the, la the last 10 years have changed dramatically in the last two years. And whether that's the COVID impact or or some mix of COVID and other, other factors at work, I guess, yet to be determined. We'll see how the latest, the trends stick around and whether um, the frenzy continues. But it's been a really big uptick in the last couple of years versus where we were at in 2013. And prices for the first time, at least on the for sale side, are above where they were in 07 and 08 at many of our resorts. So that's been a very exciting development. We've been we've been kind of keeping our fingers in that pulse for the past, well, since Altera was formed back in 17. And just now really starting to, the timing is, is working out very well for us because we've been planning a lot of these base area developments for the past four or five years. And just coming to it when, uh, when we're feeling like we're at a really good kind of peak at the market. Yeah. One thing I've always thought was strange or curious I think you describe it exactly right. The recovery was very, very slow, but the actual return of you know capital to the markets or even just the return of development and execution capacity was very, very delayed. You know, it's it's just there's very little real estate development activity in most of these communities. And and even when people decide to pursue it, right, it's just it's just hard to find the execution capacity to build, operate, you know, the, the technical support. Why do you think the industry, I mean, the consumer was slow in coming back that, we, that we've established, but why was the industry so resistant to revisit the resort environments, the mountain resorts pre-COVID? I think it goes back a lot to the trades, yeah. right? You, you had a, a mass exodus of, you know, the trades in mountain communities where they could move to an urban area and have a lot more stable income. And so, you know, when you look at it and you see the plumbers, the electricians and, and all of that kind of moving out, now you have such a limited supply of contractors in the mountains and, you know, what they need to survive, you know, is, you know, they, they volume, yeah. right. Which just wasn't there. So I think that that had a huge impact and it trickled down through kind of all of the, you know, commercial, uh, residential, all of the major product types. And I, I still don't think that there has been a, a huge recovery there. And, and you couple that with just the lack of developable land in a lot of these resort communities, just generally, that there's not, you're selling land at a premium because it's next to a resort. So you start off with a high land basis, then you're getting limited supply of, of contractors. So your pricing is super inflated and just the feasibility just doesn't work out until you start getting to price points that are kind of, you know, in that upper, very high range. So yeah. And on that price point bit, I mean, then you have a very, a very shallow kind of pool of buyers, right? And so the feasibility on the cost side drives this defined product that you can you can even begin to think about offering that will pencil. And how deep is the market for four million dollar units? It might be great at Aspen, Deer Valley, and Vail. And I think the markets in those places you'll see is probably far more resilient. You probably know the data better than I do, Adam. But what do you do about most of these other mountains, Winter Park or on our, our competition side, Copper or Keystone, um, that aren't quite at that level, right? So you just see nothing happen there. Cost It costs the same to build there other than the land, um, but you just won't see a deep buyer pool buying $4 million condos out there. Yeah, you know, between maybe 2015 and 2020, periodically, once or twice a year, we would get <laughs> engaged by, usually by a private equity investor to sort of help develop a thesis around mountain resorts investing. And at the end of that, the conclusion was always like, well, maybe that's, maybe that's compelling, but hard to execute. Is it scalable? Is, is, is it too cyclical? Is the risk really there? And I think in, in our experience, a lot of people came to the conclusion that it wasn't. And I forgot to mention that, you know, the employee housing, too, is a huge deal, right? Because you have, you know, even to operate a hotel or retail or F&B, finding, you know, labor and finding, you know, people to help service, you know, all of these product types is, is, a, is a, a lot more challenging, you know, in, you know, we're in the mountains and resort communities. So 
that's added kind of another layer onto that. But I think it was still in existence 10 years ago as it is today. It's the same problem. So after this 10-year slog and you know, in 2019 and by 2020, I think the markets really had recovered. And then COVID comes, which immediately puts you out of business, but then the markets go nuts. I want to talk a little bit about what happened in the resort markets and maybe with the resorts themselves. Most people listening to this are probably going to be very familiar with a lot of the the trends that we saw when COVID hit. So many different factors seem to come to fruition at the same time, right? You had the, on the the actual physical side of what people were doing and where they were staying. You have a bunch of people who didn't need to be in the office anymore, probably were cooped up at home for six months or longer. And our survey data suggests this this was a an effect that was definitely there and seems to be have some lasting impacts. But people wanted to start getting out. They had they work became flexible, work at home became a thing, work from the mountains became a thing. So you had an, an influx of demand and maybe even some pent-up demand for those people who couldn't do it for so long. And now not only could did we kind of open up, but they no longer had to be somewhere at a certain time every day in the city. So there's that side. And of course, then there's the other factor, which is capital markets. And I think we're all familiar with the just the amount of the inflow of money into the market that happened when throughout that entire COVID period. Of course, you see a little tightening of that now, but the, the effects were there for a solid year or two. And everybody and their mother was out there buying a first home, a second home, or a third home. And that so that the influx of both capital and demand, I think we, I say we collectively as I guess people in real estate or people in the resort market were a big beneficiary of that on the discretionary real estate side as far as resorts, recreation, and travel goes. So that really pushed things up quite a bit. Of course, I mean, the it comes with all the the kind of hair on it with inflation and supply chain crunch, materials, labor. So it's not that we're not going to see the windfall of 100% of that, but certainly puts the market in what appears to be a really good position for us to go out there and, and get some of these things built very soon. JP, does that I capture that? Yeah, I think the other point is the, you know, the short-term rental scene exploded as well. So now you, know, you have investors and a lot other capital that got in, you know, involved in resort communities because they could buy a home and, you know, rent it out for ridiculous prices. And so that bought up a ton of real estate in a really short period of time as well. And the hospitality markets too, right, went through, and, and again, they were strengthening, but but the rates really had tremendous growth. The typical pattern of seasonality, which had always made the business difficult you know, ease maybe with some of the lifestyle changes that that Andrew was talking about. And just, you know, so so little supply that, you know, really the development economics around, you know, the, the resort hotels was is very different than it was two or three years ago. And I guess the question that people are asking is, is this a structural change that's for good? You know, the behavior patterns and the interested in real estate in, in these locations or or is the tide now receding? Yeah, I'd say for my opinion, I, I for what it's worth, I, I don't. I, I'm my uh, my ability to speak to this is very limited to what I know about our mountains, and I I think for Altera Mountain Companies Resorts and probably our big competitors as well, Vale Vale Resorts, uh, maybe even, maybe even some of Powder or Boynes, but. The for us, the industry, it kind of the ski industry presents, I think, a unique dynamic here and what's happened in the ski industry. And I don't want to get too much into ski centric talk here, but there's been a big, a big consolidation over the many the past 10 years in market share as far as skier visits and mountain resort destinations go. And a few big players have come out on top, so to speak. And we've been one of those, I think. Many of our resorts now have command market share both winter and summer that they didn't 10 years ago, pre-Altera, pre-Icon Pass. And so that coupled with everything we just talked about and with the fact that nothing, we can't forget nothing has been developed in these places, most of these places for 10, 15 years even. Um, so there is a catch-up factor where we're, we're operating on an asset base or a bed base that's 15 years old 
but with a whole new shift or dynamic in visitation behavior and demand behavior and second home buyer behavior and Airbnb, right? And so we're the the physical kind of development scene is just now catching up to what I think would have been a natural organic growth path for it had we not had you know the financial crisis or any other any other kind of negative factors that so I, I think we're kind of at a new baseline level. I don't know how much how relevant that is to the broader real estate market. And I don't want to pretend I don't want to pretend to be a prophet or be that guy who who says uh next crisis is coming or we're gonna give you, reach new highs. I, I don't know, but I, I can say with pretty relative confidence that for Altera Mountain Company on our resorts, I think I feel like we're at a really solid baseline. And it's either flat or up from here with the natural expected cycles that you you see normally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think the challenge, you know, for, for us is, is going to really be delivering something different so that it creates a different experience, right? Because everybody's so used to, you know, the veils and the Breckenridges and, you know, what have you. So it's, it's how can we, you know, use this to our advantage, but also deliver something to our, you know, to our market set that is that is different and appealing in and apart from just kind of the the regular resort experience right i want to go into what does that mean what is new and different before that though do you see the markets getting more crowded more developer interest more capital interest or do you still feel like you know you're kind of going it alone as the industry focuses on other other types of markets i think we've had to plant our flag and provide some leadership in indicating to the giving the market some indicator or level of confidence that this is a great place to invest when it hasn't necessarily been that for the past 15 years and sorry to harp on that point again but it's not like these places have been great um you've had a bunch of great deals and just no land it's truly been a feasibility challenge because of shoulder season and cost and all the things that JP talked about over the past decade or more. And so I, I, we've had to, we've realized, I think that we have to give the market that confidence with some, some steps that show that we as the owner of the resort, which is almost always the biggest business and the biggest employer and the biggest developer and the biggest landowner in town, in many cases, we've had to go and show that confidence in different ways. And so one of the ways we've done this is major capital investment or starting our own development and setting the market high with a, you know, a 50-unit luxury condo development that sells out at 1,600 a foot. And so those steps that show that when people see us and say, hey, Altera Mountain Company and their ownership are investing a, a ton of capital here and it's working out for them. And visitations through the roof, things are selling at all-time highs, ADRs are great, occupancy is great, summer business is booming. That proof of concept, I think, is what's now starting to come out on the other. We're starting to see that, the fruits of our labor, so to speak, for the first time in some of these places. And you'll start to see us do more of that, I think, in more of these resorts. Yeah, Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. And we do have a lot more levers to pull than just a regular developer, right? And so we we can we can be super creative on how we invest that capital, you know, on the mountain to create or you know infrastructure at the base, or maybe it's wayfinding. I mean, there's so many different things that we can do to put something in front of the guests that creates that better guest experience or connecting, you know, um, you know, mountains, things of that nature. And I think that the more of these projects that come to fruition will help to not only create more of a sense of place. But also it will hopefully bring, you know, investors along to say, look, they're doing this, we're going to do that. And kind of, you know, high tide rises all ships. As they and th- there are so. examples of places where we're actually lagging. I mean, where people, other third parties and developers and people in town or around us have gone on and on their own just said, we're going to go develop. And we as Altera Mountain Company have not necessarily been the fastest to market in all cases. We have so many resorts. Our, our focus of ownership, management, and the development group is, is split and across many different efforts. And so there are places where uh, we were surprised to actually see the level of investment happening from other people. And now it's given us confidence. So don't want to imitate that or pretend that we're 
we're the leaders out there all the time that are, are trying to innovate and, and prove to everybody else. Although that, that's worked very well for us where we've done it. Surprisingly to us, we, we've, uh, we've seen this, this opposite effect happen in some places where it's given us confidence. Winter Park is a great example of that, actually. And JP has some very specific experience given he's leading that development himself. Or we've been kind of slow to market. We control all of the land, almost of the land around the base area, us in conjunction with the city and county of Denver, um, who owns the resort. We, we're the operator, but we control most of that land and haven't. And that's part of the reason that base has never been fully developed because no one else could develop it. Well, if you look in town, there are a bunch of other developers out there with a, a ton of very successful projects that have been completed and now breaking ground on phases two and three. And that what they're achieving is now given us the confidence to say, hey, we got to go do something out here and, and really monetize the assets that we're, we haven't historically built out. So um, on the flip side, you have a place like Steamboat where we, I think, I think I can say with confidence that we set the market high when we went out there and said, we're going to invest $250 million on the mountain and in the base to bring Steamboat to the next level. It's it hasn't been invested by prior ownership, which was InfraWest, which was uh, InfraWest was struggling with capital at the time. And so we've come in and, and created that unique kind of redevelopment of that place that, and we own a lot of land down there as well. So kind of the second and third years of that development, when people started to see the results, we started getting a ton of interest from developers in, in our parcels. And we have a couple of deals in the works right now. One's already public and will be hopefully breaking ground on with East-West Partners next year. So, you know, it's it's part and parcel, different approaches everywhere, but capital has definitely been more interested in the mountain communities over the past two years. Those are very good examples. And I like the fact that this strategy of seeding the market, proving the market, driving the market, you're deploying in, in places that have historically been, you know, very high-end destination resorts. You, you mentioned Steamboat, but also places like Deer Valley. and and it's the same strategy in markets that have Winter Park, a terrific mountain, but it's not historically had the same kind of profile, the same kind of demographics. Is it, am I characterizing it right, that the strategy is kind of the same and that you can apply it? Well, I, I would say I'm hesitant to say the strategy is the same because they are very different places. And we don't want Winter Park to be Steamboat mm -hmm. um, or Deer Valley. Uh, in fact, I, I when I lived in Denver for four or five years, Winter Park was my home mountain, mainly because it was probably the, the closest major resort to where I lived. But so it was easy to get to. But it was it also felt like the place I fit in the most. Um, and so it, there is a culture there that a lot of people resonate with. And going and building a bunch of luxury four seasons or a bunch of luxury condos isn't necessarily the right strategy for Winter Park. But when it comes to product, but when it comes to approach on how we signal to the market and get capital interested, yes, I think um, just so we can differentiate between what we mean when we say same strategy. Yes, I think the approach is similar. We do want to go and be the first out or put our capital, put our money where our mouth is, so to speak, um, to get then get third parties interested. Because if you look at the amount of land we have down there, there is no way we could do it all. It's one or $2 billion of development. We hope what we can do is go and, and spend a bunch of money in the mountain, make the experience great, make people interested, maybe break ground in one or two hospitality or, or lodging plays. And hopefully that signals to the market that Winter Park's the next best place to invest money. And uh, I think we're starting to see the very beginnings of that interest as well. So JP, I know you're heavily involved in this. How do you feel about that? Yeah, well, I, I think that the, you have to have a creative approach to every place because they're so different. Um, from not only, you know, the way in which they ski, but from the infrastructure, from the markets that they're pulling from, from the locals. Um, I mean, there's there's so many different stakeholders within each resort that you have to pay homage to, to all of them. And you've got to, you know, you've got to create the place that, you know, speaks to, you know, what what our brand is trying to be and what what the place wants to become. Right. So I think, you know, that's kind of what makes, you know, I think our group a little bit unique is. Look, the operations is is what you know is is what we hold you know near and dear. That's first, and then how do we complement that? And you know, Andrew alluded to that before, but that's really how we try to approach it, so that we don't get out around and try to you know cookie cutter up our resorts and do the same thing you know over and over again um, because we've seen what's happened there, right? 
then that's what we want to avoid. And we, we want to do things thoughtfully and tastefully and, and make sure that it, it's in keeping with, with the resort identity and, and with, you know, the people that go there yeah. and, and love to, you know, ski there and vacation there. And can you there. share so. a couple of examples of things that are different, like what makes a, a, a residential building or a hotel, you know, different than what would have been built 20 years ago, or just even different the way you think about it in two of the resorts in which you're planning developments? When, and I don't really want to touch on like specific amenities or things of that nature that kind of make it it different because, you know, our wheelhouse is how it connects to the whole, right? And, and that's where we really want to, you know, drive the change is, is, look, it's not just a hotel. It's how does this hotel interact with the mountain and with the people and with the parking and with the, you know, the customer that we're trying to attract and so I think that's really where, you know, our secret sauce, you know, comes into play is, is look, we've got this great asset. We want to monetize it with whatever it is, but how does that interface, right? Like how, how do we ensure that, you know, the guest journey from A to B is as seamless as possible. So you're not dragging your equipment hundreds of feet across. How do we implement parking, parking strategies that speak to, you know, bigger vehicles, more space, allow for, you know, four-wheel drive, you know, things of that nature, looking forward into, you know, the sustainability of things. So I, I really, when I, when we think about, you know, the interaction of the resort, it's really, how do we create the asset that speaks to where the place is and, and how do we define that in connection with the resort and the guest experience always at the top mm-hmm. of mind. And that's, right? that's very, I mean, um, the, and, very great call out, JP. The the unique advantage that we have as operator, owner operator of the resort that it brings to us as developers is, is that we can really pull it into the operation in a way that anyone else couldn't. I'll bring up an example just because it's it's a funny one, but it's it's very relevant here. Was walking, this was maybe a couple of months ago before the winter set in. It's walking at a parcel out at Steamboat that was a ski and ski out parcel. And we had myself, Rob, who was the president, who is the president of the resort and the regional chief operating officer for the central region in Altera. And then we had a another developer who was looking to partner with us on the on the site um i'll just call this guy john for now this other this this developer we were walking around the site looking and and he had looked up and saw the trail that comes down by the parcel and he had pointed out you know the the grading it's it's really tough right the trail's kind of up there the parcel kind of sits in a hole if only if only there was a way to get that grading um but you know if from with his hat on it never occurred to him nor would i have expected it to that the guy who could move the trail was standing right next to him. And so I, I said, <laughs> we can move that. And the, the look on his face when he realized that he's dealing with the resort, not just us, the development group, but the owner operator of the resort right. and, and all the things that and the benefits that that could offer. It just, that look in his face was, was all telling. I think it just changed entirely how he thought about the development and how it could be pulled into the mountain and integrated with the operations. And not just from that one trail example, but all the lights that turned on in his head, right? I'm working with the operators mm-hmm. here. Think of what we could do. Think of what offerings we can create, right. what unique amenities we can pull in and integrate and offer to the buyers that work with the operations, right? So that that's a, it's a very unique yeah. competitive advantage that we get to to kind of pull into our our uh, out of our wheelhouse and pull out and throw on the table and it really gets things going from a uh, an outside interest standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, and it well and it really speaks to, you know, the the mixed use nature of of all of our resort and the ba- the basis specifically, right? You've got so many different product types that that you can use. You've got, you know, you've got retail, you've got rental, you've got ski school, you've got, I mean, just just a smorgasbord of 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 stuff that's all going on, but it all has to be programmed so specifically because we've got huge um, you know, capacities, we've got, you know, massive F&B operations, we've got, you know, hospitality, and we've just got a lot of things that have to be very well organized for, you know, for kind of the Easter Sunday, Sunday example, because it happens every Saturday and Sunday, if you like it or not. So um, you just, you got to be, yeah. you got to be on your toes. On, so as you front. think about 
what might get built in in these communities in the next decade you know how do you think what constitutes housing and mountain resorts will change you know there's historically been a relatively narrow sliver of things that are feasible you know do you see that opening up does the feasibility equation change does the programming change my perspective is that you know employees are going to are going to win right <laughs> Because they're they're going to be the ones that are going to open your 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 outlets. They're going to be the ones that turn your lifts. Um, they they are the lifeblood of the resort, and the we collectively have to figure out how housing works into the development profile of our investments, right? And this, I believe that it can't just come down to you know the jurisdictions, the towns, and whatever to figure this out. And it has to come from you know our willingness to you know invest dollars. And, and really change the way in which we create critical masses at the bases. Um, some resorts are easily are more easily moved in that direction than others. Um, but you know, with you know high turnover rates and housing that's hours and hours away, we are seeing it. I, I don't know if we have the data to support it, but you're going to see EBITDA degradation. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just going to get worse and worse if we can't figure out this problem. So. I really think that, you know, the way in which we try to approach housing, and I think we've got a pretty good plan. Uh, Andrew can speak to a little bit more in depth than I can. But this, you know, this kind of this work, you know, the work, play, kind of live aspect of things is going to become so much more important to the way in which, you know, we kind of thoughtfully develop um, because, you know, losing that kind of institutional capital on a yearly basis and not having middle management, upper management, what have you, you know, be around the resort is just, I mean, it's it, it's a shame to be to be honest and it's going, it has impacts. Um, I, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm hoping that we can try to be that, that you know, that next, you know, the change that, that works, but, it, you know, there's obviously the flip of the coin, which is the feasibility aspect of things. Um, which we're which we're trying to you know crack that nut right now. So yeah, I, I think on the feasibility, you know, I'll say I've been shocked by, in a very good way, by our ownership and management's appreciation of the problem. I, I I've spent most of my adult career working for this company and its predecessor, so it's not like I have a bunch to compare to, but certainly have the predecessor to compare to, and what I've heard about other other companies out there, but the appreciation that our ownership and our management team have for the for the workforce housing and the, and the need to attract talent and retain it um, and have employee engagement and satisfaction and a work work life play balance um, it's been astounding to me and what really drove it home is when when our company decided collectively that we're going to subsidize to uh, and I, I can't release numbers the pr investment i think the pr kind of announcement or messaging is supposed to be coming out in the next few weeks. So you'll see it then, but hundreds of millions of dollars um, being subsidized into, into the employee experience and workforce housing and employee benefits. Um, and it's, it was very surprising to me to actually see, you know, a for-profit corporation like ours owned by private equity, really putting its money where its mouth is when it comes to improving the employee experience and having the employees lead the way with our guests and our financial results. And so that has been one of the, I guess, the parts of my career that I've been very happy to be a part of and and be able to kind of boast about is how much we've done as a group, and JP included, in the way of developing workforce housing, affordable housing um, in these markets for our employees. We have a very big initiative underway to do it. And so I think we've realized there isn't a way to make money and making <laughs> this is going to sound bad, but make up you can't you can't solve the problem in always in the most feasible way. There are feasible ways to do it. There are ways you can make money or light tech deals out there and for profit you know, housing generating um you know certain levels of NOI and kind of uh, target at certain AMIs. But if you truly want to solve the problem, you can't look at it from the basis or the lens of I want to make money and offer affordable housing in these communities. It's it's yeah. these are two opposing goals, right? Yeah. And so I think we've taken the 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 stance that we're not in this to make to make money. We're in this to to actually attract and retain talent and make sure our employees are, are happy and we can keep yeah. them. So that 
we've kind of we've given up on this idea of making money and that has just on affordable housing not that we ever had that we just we've decided the strategy is going to be we're going to put the money into housing our employees in a way that's better than the the options they currently have if you look at some of the places that employees live today in many of these communities and i've seen headlines about bail for example and you can see you can find all the news out there they're they're having to cram themselves in now to double occupancy and triple occupancy units. I mean, that's we've taken a completely different approach. JP, you're building a project at Winter Park where everyone was it's gonna have their own room. I mean, and the amenities that they're being offered, these are very, very unique um, standards and quality lodging offerings for this contingent of employees in resort communities. Um, so I, I think what we've done is is been pretty impressive to me. And I hope it really paves the way for the rest of the, the market um, and, and the rest of the mountain community um, to understand what we can actually do to make a difference in in our employees' lives and how much that benefits the business and the community and what guests see and what shareholders at the end of the day see. I think those those benefits will cascade down. And I think we've we've really set out to go and solve the problem in a, in a number of ways. You, you've seen some of it, Adam. We're yeah. out there buying hotels and converting them. We're out there building um, building units and, and whether it's it's kind of uh, single family homes or multifamily or townhomes, we're, we're out there doing it all, trying to solve this problem and making a, a real difference. And we have a three to four year kind of outlook on reaching what we've identified as the total need for housing um, for our resort communities. And so I, I think we'll get there. We're trying to do it in a way that's financially smart by saying we're not going to make a bunch of money on it. Doesn't mean we're going to throw a bunch of money at it in a blind way. We're going to try to find whatever financing solutions there may be out there. We, we had a creative one we did with, uh, at winter park. Um, and we're going to continue to pursue those. I, I guess a related question or related topic you know, maybe now thinking a little bit more broadly about, you know, the communities in the mountains than than just the immediate resort environment is there does seem to be some evidence of, you know, kind of a, a broader economic flowering and economic growth, job growth, companies moving in that are, are not just about tourism and recreation. Do you have a sense that, you know, in the communities that you work in more broadly, there's that kind of transformation underway. Does the change in work that we talked about earlier kind of suggest that that might be a meaningful phenomenon in the years ahead? I have seen that there are, you know, different types of businesses, um, a lot of, you know, different types of service industry and, you know, um, businesses that have moved up there just from the pure fact of now they can kind of have a remote location and, uh, you know, it creates a little bit of flexibility. And I don't, I don't foresee that. I could see that kind of expanding um, just because they are, I mean, they're, they're great places to live. Right. And there's a lot of uh, benefits to it. So yeah, in our resorts specifically, um, I'm trying to think, you know, we've got, we've got some unique ones, right. That are, Kind of off the beaten path, so to speak, and you know it becomes a little bit more challenging. I would say, yeah, Winter Park could be a, a good candidate for that. Probably Palisades would be another great location for kind of that remote work. So yeah, I, I think that there could be a, a big, a big, there could be a shift there for sure. Okay, maybe we'll circle back to where is Altera going and where is the development business going? You know, I, I guess is it fair to say that? you know, you're kind of moving now fully into sort of an execution mode after being in a planning mode for a, for a period of time? From a real yeah, I, yeah, I think we spent uh, maybe longer than we had to, but it, it was important work to, we spent a lot of time in envisioning, right? Um, going through envisioning charrettes, go blue sky thinking, what could these communities be 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now? What do we want them to be as a business? How do we kind of integrate with the town and the community thinking and what they want it to be um, and, and maintain the culture, let it grow organically and not kind of try to go around printing our brand on it. So that effort, you know, it's still ongoing, I'll say. Um, certainly, I, I don't know if it's the type of thing that you ever get to a point where you know this is exactly what we want, right? But we've certainly matured that at a number of resorts, especially the larger ones. 
I think we've we've gone through a very intentional effort to understand the opportunity and the direction strategically and and from a vision perspective of what these these larger assets could look like in the long term so that we know how to invest our capital wisely um for yeah. you know to maximize returns within the investment window so that that effort we've kind of got we're on the on the back end of now where we I think we've gotten pretty mature understandings of what we want these places to be and how we invest towards that. And so I, without saying we're fully in execution mode, um, we're, we we're certainly in a position where we're starting to deploy capital uh, at a much larger scale than we were in the beginning, because we're more convicted now that it's going to the right place and that we're not going to look back in a five years or 10 years and say, man, that was a doozy, or we, we really screwed that one up and could have put this there and that there instead, right? So mm-hmm. we have that conviction now that has allowed our ownership group to kind of open up the wallets a bit more for smart investment with great return, but knowing that it's also building towards a longer, long-range vision. Does that make sense? Yeah. And to add on to that, a lot of these jurisdictions that we're in are are pretty difficult to develop in, just generally speaking. And, and so, you know, a lot of our timelines are, you know, somewhat in sequence with, uh, with the jurisdiction and, and their willingness to, um, you know, like whatever kind of hurdles we have to get through on, you know, either it's the entitlement front or approvals, things of that nature. So that kind of, you know, drug our attention a little bit to certain priority areas where, you know, where we think we can kind of get the low hanging fruit and move the ball along while some of these other more challenging areas to develop uh, kind of, you know, mature. So there's been a natural progression there just, you know, based upon that as well. And as you have, you know, more projects and large projects, are you... um financing the real estate projects purely from balance sheet? Are you considering, you know, kind of more third-party financing? How do you think the capital model will evolve over the next few years? Well, I I will say the private equity um, mentality, I think, has influenced us a bit, which is other people's money, right? Mm-hmm. So to the extent there are there is money out there that is meant for this or chartered for this or useful for this purpose and we can satisfy both the investors needs or and ours i think we'll go after that and we have done that so uh you know the winter park housing project for example we had a a great great bank lender who was looking to deploy money towards this this sort of affordable housing thing and and we found a, a kind of a great partnership there hope to build upon it in the future and they they financed that uh, we got some great terms despite the uh, turmoil of the market at the time. So I think we'll continue to take that lens as we go forward. Um, we want to employ things like metro districts, um, tax increment financing, um, of course, any sort of debt structure and capital structure that that you know is is worthwhile from a cost of capital perspective. I think we'll we'll always be open to that. But of course, we. we we do have quite a large balance sheet given the size of the company, and we we try to direct most of our balance sheet capital at things that we are going to own and operate from a kind of an, an operating ski mentality perspective. So whether that's a rental shop, a restaurant, a on-mountain lodge, a lift, snowmaking terrain, things of that nature, that's where we want our capital to go. Uh, we know there's money out there that will always be interested, I hope in developing real estate and turning a profit. And that capital, we're glad to bring that in and kind of share in the spoils if that means we can get kind of a faster window to development. Because again, if you go back to the strategy that we kind of touched on at the very beginning of this conversation, getting bed base built out and critical mass built out is what drives operating profit for us. Brings more people, it brings more spend. So it's less about deploying capital to turn it, turn around a profit on that condo or that hotel or, or selling something at some on some cap rate and more about getting the stuff built quickly so we can continue to grow as an operating company. And so while we want to deploy our capital to operating assets, we'll deploy it if we need to, 
to seeding development or inducing development or partnering in a JV structure to get something built if, if the kind of our investment partner needs us to scale up our, our involvement or sponsorship level. So that's, I think, how we think about capital. It's a bit of a nuanced way. There isn't a this or that, but we prefer to use outside capital where possible when it comes to real estate. We're just not a real estate company. It's just real estate so important to us. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe we'll end with a, a lightning round. Just a quick response to three questions. Maybe JP, coolest thing you're working on at the moment? Uh, would be the workforce housing project in Winter Park. And Andrew, like most audacious idea for something you'd like to see in one of your resorts five years <laughs> down the road. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, well, we have this idea of building the longest gondola in North America to the top of Steamboat. And I have a feeling we might see that happen. So that'll be mine. And JP, like me, you probably get questions from people in the industry like, how could I get a job in, in one of the mountain resorts? What what advice do you have to people in real estate or people with real estate companies that are interested in doing business in, in the mountains or... You just got to dig in. <laughs> Maybe be careful what you wish for. <laughs> exactly. I gave up a career in finance to go work at uh, Snowshoe in West Virginia, coming from New York City. So yeah, I just had enough. I wanted a change. I looked fun. I did it. And here I am. It's worked out okay, I think, for me. So uh, <laughs> I guess you just said to JP's point, you just got to, you got to buck the trends and just go dig in. Yeah. And last question, maybe the broadest yet, is how does the ski industry fare over the next 10 years? It's going to fare well. I mean, just generally, these places are unbelievable, you know, locations, um, the experiences that, you know, people get there, you know, keep them coming back. And hopefully we can, you know, elevate even that experience to the next level to kind of give them the resort of the future. It's just to make everything a little bit more easy, easy, the food a little bit better, the experiences, you know, that much more robust. And hopefully, you know, that kind of creates an even better place in the future. So, I mean, that that's our hope. Terrific. Well, I think we'll end it there. Thanks, guys, for taking the time. Really thoughtful and, and good insight. I'm exciting what you're working on and appreciate everybody's time. Yeah, I'll just say, I mean, it's been, I'll add this for what it's worth, Adam, it's been great working with you and your team over the past few years as well. So looking forward to continuing the partnership there. Well, we appreciate it. We do consider you guys among among the best minds in real estate, and we relish the charge of being thought partners or, or a research or analytical resource to support you guys on what you're doing. So thanks again, and thanks everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate, hosted by RCL Co. If you are interested in learning more about RCL Co., go to rclco.com and follow us on Twitter at RCL Co. Don't forget to subscribe to new episodes of the podcast and make sure to leave us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for tuning into the show.